Amen. All right. Speaks to you, doesn't it? (laughs) If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Continuing the series, Royal Invitation. And today we're looking at the legitimate judge of the sinner. We're going to jump right in. So if you have your outline there, I hope you do. Uh, Look at the introduction. There is one sin that you probably have to deal with more often than any other sin. It is so subtle that it often catches us by surprise. Jesus attacked it more often, more severely, and more directly than any other sin. It wasn't adultery or murder. It was the act of judging others or the appearance of being self-righteous. Now, let me just say this, and I think you'll notice this. When you read through the Gospels, of course, uh, the Gospels, basically what you're reading is the life of Jesus. And how he dealt with others and how uh, paths of others would would diverge upon him and how he dealt with them. And and here's what's interesting. Jesus had great compassion for those who sinned. How many of you have noticed that in Scripture? Yeah, he had. had great compassion for those who sinned. How many of you are grateful that he has compassion for us who sinned? Yeah, but, but here's what's interesting. But those who judged those who sinned, he was very critical. Very critical. Paul changes the conversation here in Romans from the rebellious sinner in chapter 1 to the self-righteous sinner in chapter 2. It is like he is saying, I don't, uh, if, if, I don't prove, uh, if I didn't prove you were a sinner in chapter 1, I want you to look closely in chapter 2 because I'm going to prove it to you there. And of course, we know that the case that Paul is building here is that everyone is considered a sinner. You see, it's easy for those in, religion, in the religious community to judge those mentioned in chapter 1 without seeing their own sin. Therefore, Paul wants to make it clear that we are all sinners before God and are without excuse when we stand before Him. And if you didn't catch it there, there's several things at the end of chapter 3 in which Paul basically writes, There is none not righteous, no, not one. And then he closes this section with Romans 3.23. We all know it. For all have sinned and come short of the, glory of, of the glory of God. Now, here's what's interesting about that. That includes those who are living in rebellion and those who are living self-righteous lives. Now, when Paul writes chapter 2, he could have been making a comparison between the wickedness of Rome and the religion in Jerusalem. Now, here's what's interesting about both. Both were equally deceived. Both of their sins would lead to emptiness. Both of their sins would lead to spiritual death. And so whether you're talking about the rebellious, they're living in Rome, or you're talking about the religious who were in Jerusalem, all stand guilty before a holy God. All will be eternally condemned apart from the provision of Jesus Christ in their life. So chapter 2 is a warning to the self-righteous who place themselves in judgment of those who are rebellious. Now, the passage we're about to read this morning is all about the question, who in this world has the right to judge? Look on your outline there. It's not man. It's not man. In Romans chapter 2, look at verse 1. It says, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. 
You see, the key to understanding this section is found in verse 1. In the word that we see there is, is judge. The meaning of judge in this context is not evaluate or analyze or discern. In this context, it literally means those who attempt to sentence someone. Those who condemn someone. That's how it's used here in verse 1. Now, in verse 1, Paul is saying that those who judge others are out of line. And then he gives us five reasons why. So look on your outline. Five characteristics of a self-proclaimed judge. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have been there at some point in your life? Self-proclaimed judge. I mean, we, sometimes it's just, it almost feels natural to be that, doesn't it? And so many times, it's just as I said in the introduction, it's so subtle. It's, so, it's like one of those things you're sitting there and you're like, okay, um, boy, I'm sure glad I'm not like them. Have you ever been there? I'll, I'll be the one to confess it if you don't. But, but it's so easy to go there. So, so where does it come from? Where, what's the heart of it all? Look here on your outline. Accuses others and excuses themselves. In Romans chapter 2, look at verse 1 again. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. He's basically saying you're sitting there and you're judging the person across from you. And Paul is basically saying, hey, do you understand the conclusion I'm going to come to here? We're all guilty before God. And so therefore, when you judge that other person, guess what you're doing because we're all guilty. You're, 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 you're basically sentencing yourself to that same judgment because all's going to receive it apart from Jesus Christ. And so he's basically saying you're, you're talking about your very own judgment when you're judging others. It is typical, listen, it is typical human nature to be unrealistic about ourselves, to think more highly of ourselves. Everyone else is guilty, but we are innocent. It's everybody else's fault. The worst kind of pride is religious pride that says this. I've got it together and you don't. You, you should be more like me. And you see so many times when we see something like that, it's almost like, well, I would never be that. But we do that. We do do that. We may not come out and say it that way. But do you know how we best do it? By relabeling our sin. Now, if I didn't get you already, I'm getting ready to get you now. Okay, because it got me. So, so how do we excuse our sin and accuse others? Here's how we do it. We relabel our sin. Here, here it is. I don't gossip. I, I'm just sharing a concern. Have, have, how many of you have ever done that? You're, let's just, confession's good, y'all. Yeah, we've done that, haven't we? Here's another one. I'm not critical. I'm just discerning. I'm not negative. I'm realistic. I'm not unreliable. I'm just flexible. I'm not lazy. I'm just laid back. <laughs> I've used that one quite a bit in my life, but I'm not judging. I'm calling it the way I see it. <laughs> you see, we are not to accuse others and excuse ourselves. Secondly, a self-proclaimed judge measures by the wrong standards. In Romans chapter 2, look at verse 2. It says, but we know that the judge, judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. 
Now, now here's what we need to understand. The measure by which we judge or will be judged is not the measure of other people. But somehow we think it is. Because we're constantly, and I I guarantee you, you've done this probably just in the last week. We're constantly sizing ourselves up against the other person. Haven't we done that? It's when we look at other people's sin and think, man, how could someone do that? Did you know indirectly that's the judgment being pronounced there? We're all guilty of sin. It may not be that sin, but guess what? You got your own closet full. And the thing that we need to realize is that we're going to be measured by that. Listen, God's word is the truth. However, we compare ourselves to others. Listen, I'm not the standard. I'm, you know, and here's what's so interesting. Sometimes we'll say, well, 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 the preacher, he's really, he he really needs to clean it up. I mean, he really is. He's got to live that before. Listen, we're all called to live righteous lives. But here's the thing. We fail at that. I fell at that. I know you're surprised by that. But just ask the children. Ask the wife. Ask the grandchildren. I mean, we all are there. But the point is, what, what do we do with all that? We bring it before Jesus. We, we, we're, we're, he, 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 and we're going to talk about that in the sermon. But listen to this. The problem is that we're blind to the truth. All of us have blind spots, areas of weakness we don't see. It is difficult to detect our own weaknesses, our own sin. Many times we don't see where we are at fault, but easily see the faults of others because we measure, listen, we measure by the wrong standards. Now, let me, let me give you an example. <laughs> One time I was um, meeting with someone. Uh, they won't, that person won't be here in these next two services, so I'm not talking about you, okay? But, but I remember meeting with someone many years ago, and I'm sitting there, and we're eating something, and bless their heart, they, they, they had food. I mean, it was just, it, it, was, it was dripping down off their chin. I mean, they were really, and, and I was sitting there and I was like, should I say something? You ever been there? It's like, should I say something about that? I mean, that's definitely something that needs to be fixed. You know? But you know what? Before I could even go through the thought process, you know what they said? Hey, there's something right there on the corner of your mouth. At that point, I wasn't going to say anything if my life depended on it. You know, so I went ahead and wiped it off. I'm like, okay, go ahead, Mr. Mayonnaise hanging off your chin. <laughs> but, but here's what's interesting about all that is, is when we get to that situation, we can't really see truly what's there. Now, let me say this. The standard of measurement is not other people. It's not even the most godliest, godly person that you know. It's not that. The standard for which we measure ourselves is God's word. And that's the reason we need to stay in it. That's the reason we need to be in it. Because that is the actual thing we need to reflect and we need to see clearly. I don't know about you, but when I read God's word and I get into it, I'm convicted by it. I see the wrong. I see the things that need to be corrected in my life. I see the attitude that shouldn't be there. But if I'm, if I'm not doing that and all I'm doing is looking at the people around me, I will totally miss what's really there. And I'm afraid that's what many have done. Do you realize that many times, and you may not even be aware of this, aware of this, but I've called it in my own life and I've called it in the lives of others. That sometimes we judge people for the very things that we do. And you know why we do that? Because we're disgusted that we do it too. And somehow, we automatically will reach beyond ourselves and reach to the other person. But really what we're doing is we're judging what's already inside us many times. It happens a lot. 
Thirdly, a self-proclaimed judge believe others are, believes others are inferior. If you look at, look at verse 3, it says, And do you like this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? You're over there and you're judging this person. While their sin may be different than your sin, here's the whole bottom line. All sin will be judged. <laughs> and you're sitting over there and you're judging them, but you're sitting on your own pile of sin. The reason we like to judge others, I mean, face it, it makes us feel better about ourselves. We begin to believe we aren't so bad. Now, here's the problem with this logic. Let's say you and I both owe money to the same person. Let's say that I'm in debt for $20 million. You're in debt for $10 million. You might say, since you are in more debt than I am, I'm debt-free. How many of you would agree that that sounds ridiculous? I'm in debt $20 million. You're in debt $10 million, But you've come to the conclusion that you're debt-free because your debt is nowhere near what my debt is. Now, a lot of you look at that and think, that's pretty stupid. It's the same logic we use when we look at other people's sin. And, we, and that's pretty stupid too. And so what happens is this. I mean, th it doesn't make sense. The idea that another person's sin is worse than mine, listen, does not negate my own sin. My own sin has to be dealt with. So not only are they with, with, without excuse, I'm without excuse. Now, we think by judging others, we are put in a better position that we are, that we are going to somehow escape judgment. But keep in mind that God does not grade on a curve. You do realize that, right? How many of you like the, in college, maybe in high school, whatever, the teacher who did grade on a curve? Didn't you enjoy that? I did, unless you got, happened to be in a class with a guy who, or a girl who just blew the curve all the time. It's amazing how a teacher can set you up to hate somebody, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but, you know, we're not going to make a judge on a curve because such and such little Susie, she made an A plus, and since there's one that's capable of doing this, everyone was capable. <laughs> God doesn't do that. He doesn't judge on a curve. I was talking to Jonathan this past week, and it was amazing. It, it's really amazing when you teach God's Word. Some of you who are Sunday school teachers, maybe a pastor or whatever, you know when you teach God's Word, it's amazing how God just kind of brings the whole sermon together. Sometimes he'll bring it through the illustrations you experienced that week. Sometimes he'll bring something in your devotional life. But this past week, I go in there and he says, Dad, let me tell you a story about the boys. And, of course, I'm setting you up for a grandchild story, so you get ready to get it anyway. But anyway... I thought it was so cool. I asked permission to share this, okay? Because normally I only share the stories that I'm experiencing with them. This is something that happened in their home. It was very interesting. Listen to this. There was an exchange between Will. He's my oldest grandson. He's seven. And Jackson, he's six. And, and the conversation went something like this. Jonathan's trying to get them to understand that we're all sinners. And so here's Jonathan's question. He's been asking this for several days. He's basically saying, who is the biggest sinner in our family? Kind of a dangerous question, isn't it? Here's the response, Will and Jackson. Will said, definitely Zion. He's two years old. <laughs> definitely Zion. Jackson agreed. Oh, yeah, definitely Zion. He, he's the biggest sinner in the, in, the, in the house. Jonathan was tucking Jackson in. He asked the question again. He's sitting, he's sitting there on the edge of the bed. He's tucking him and said, he said, um, he said Jackson, who, who's the biggest sinner in our family? Listen to Jackson's response. 
wouldn't it be the person who was the oldest? <laughs> now, they're not referring to me because I'm, I'm not in that household, okay? <laughs> but, but his rationale, I got our smart grandchild, by the way. Anyway, he, listen to this. His rationale is this. That if the oldest person in the house is dad, and he is the oldest person, wouldn't he, stand the most, wouldn't he sin the most? I mean, that's logical, isn't it? I thought, man, that kid is smart. But here's what it is. So, so he has that smirk, and he looks at Jonathan, and he says, basically, you are, Dad. A third exchange, Jonathan goes to Will and says, Will, who's the biggest sinner in our family? And here's what Will said. I am. I am. He got it. He got it. So maybe our homework assignment as a church family needs to be this. Let's just go around and ask each other, who is the biggest sinner in the room? As you're leaving, ask ask the question. If the answer, listen, is not you or I am, we've totally missed what Paul is trying to say in chapters 1 and 2. Because that's the the conclusion that he's trying to bring you to. Those who are out there living this rebellious life who are are not a part of the church are out there living. It's easy to look over there and say, look at that sin. Look at the sinners over there. But boy, when you come to the house of God and you start looking around, you see all the religion and all the things that are going on and the pride that can come from it and and all that and the self-absorption about self. And all of a sudden he's saying, guess what? The house is full too. And the conclusion that he's trying to get us to is for us to say, I am. I am. That's where he's trying to get us to. We must get to the same place as far as we are concerned. We must see ourselves as the biggest sinner. And that's what Paul's trying to get you to see. Fourthly, a self-proclaimed judge misinterprets God's blessings. Look at verse 4. He says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now, this verse is implying that a self-righteous person shows contempt before God. They show contempt. They're basically, here's here's what I mean by that. God says you're guilty. You're guilty, but you're standing there saying, I'm not guilty. You're showing contempt before a holy God. It's the attitude of, of everything is going great. Therefore, God must think I'm great. Everything is going smooth. Therefore, I must be in good with God. God must think I am special because things are going good. We've totally misunderstood what blessings are in our life and the things that we're talking about. Listen, the self-righteous person thinks he deserves God's blessings. Instead, it should be, dear Lord, thank you for not giving me what I deserve. But there's a lot of people Saying, Lord, I knew I was on your good side. I knew I was impressing you. Boy, you really have blessed me here. That's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. Lastly, a self-proclaimed judge is misguided concerning God's wrath. Look at verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Listen, the result of this self-righteous attitude of I'm okay and everyone else is not is literally, think about this, is storing up wrath. 
You know why? Because you're not coming to the conclusion that Paul's trying to get you to come to. You're a sinner in need of God and his provision for your sin. And basically, if you still have that attitude, I'm okay and everyone else is not, guess what? You're totally in the mentality of storing up wrath. There's wrath being stored, out, uh, stored up and it will be poured out upon you. Now, why is it that the people Jesus got the most upset with were the Pharisees, listen, and not the adulterers? It was because they were judgmental. Being judgmental is playing God. And this is the epitome of arrogance and pride. Paul was saying only God has the right to judge. In life, you can only store up one of two things. And it's not wealth. It's wrath or treasures on the other side. That's the only two things that we read in Scripture that we're storing up. Wrath and treasures. Which are you storing up? Let's kind of change gears here. Look on your outline. I, I want to go outside the, the context of what's being represented here in Romans chapter 2. And I want us to look at some other places in Scripture. So look on your outline. Five characteristics of wrong judgment. You see, that's really what it comes down to. When we begin to judge other people, we, we, we are... We are we are using wrong judgment in doing that. And so the first thing you see there, when one dismisses own faults, when we dismiss our own faults, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, judge not that you, not be, that you be not judged. For with that, what judgment you judge, you're going to be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye? Do you know what a plank is? In today's modern language, a big old two by four. A big old two by four. And yet we're so caught up in the person's speck in their eye of sawdust and yet we've got the big old plank, the two by four sitting in our own eye. And do you know what he says about that? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so surely what he's saying is get in touch with yourself. Look and basically see. Put yourself before God. Look at it from that angle. Don't look at it compared to the other person. Another characteristic of wrong judgment, when one judges based on outward physical appearance. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 7. Do not judge according to appearance. Jesus is saying, do not judge by how they wear their hair, by what clothes they wear, by the color of one's skin. We're not to do that. It's not the whole idea of a physical appearance. First Samuel 16 says this. God looks at the heart, but man looks at the outward appearance. You know what setting that is? That's where Samuel basically goes to find the next king of Israel. And Jesse goes out there and puts all his sons out before him. And these are the ones that the father thought would be the one that could be the king. And guess what? He was wrong on all accounts. The one who was the king was out in the field. And even the father didn't see it. You know why? He was looking at the outward appearance of King David. Who would be King David. In most all of our judgments, listen, we do not have enough information to make the proper judgment. I remember some years ago, and I've shared this story with you before, but for me, this is the clearest it's ever been. We were playing softball. We were out at Mount Sinai, and 
great uh, big old field sitting out there. And I just, back then, 15 years ago, I love softball. Today, I don't like it because it hurts too bad. But anyway, 15 years ago, it was fun, okay? And we're out there, and we're playing this game. And uh, I, I played center field, and this other guy played center field. And as we would pass each other going in and out of the dugout, dugout uh, he had just hit a hit. I mean, it was the most impressive hit I've ever seen. It's like a line drive out, out of the park. I mean, I've not, I don't know if I've ever seen a ball hit that hard before in my life. And so as I'm trotting in off the field, as I saw the ball go over my head, <laughs> I, I'm trotting. He's coming towards me, and I'm like, man, that was a great hit. He didn't say a word. He just went out to, to center field. Well, I got a little put off by that. I'm giving this guy a compliment. I mean, he, he just, you know, scored three runs with this one hit, and I'm trying to be the good, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to be the good guy. And great hit, man. That was fantastic. Well, while we're in the dugout, that's very next inning, he makes a tremendous catch. I mean, it, he literally robbed one of the guys on our team from getting a good hit. And, and so all of a sudden, he, the three outs are over. We do the exchange again. And, and guess what? I mean, man, that was a great catch. I was going to give him a second chance. <laughs> and he just kept walking. Didn't say a word. You know, by the time I got back to the dugout, I was pretty put off by this guy. And I invited a couple of my teammates to be put off with him, too. So I don't know who they think they are over there. I'm telling you one thing. I've tried to compliment them twice. They ain't buying. I don't like it. End of the game, we're standing out there. And I look over near home plate. And there's someone doing sign language with the guy. The guy was deaf. Couldn't hear. Did I have the right judgment? Not at all. You know why? Because I didn't have all the information. I just knew that from my perspective. I made that judgment solely on what I knew, what was about me, 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 I, 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 I. But I totally missed it. Totally missed it. How many times do we do that? We, we're all guilty of doing that to a certain degree. I felt so bad. I went back to the guys that were playing. I said, do you see that over there? I think I misread this. It's the way we are many times. Next, do not judge based on outward spiritual appearance. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, looking on the screen. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. What, what Paul was saying in, in the church, to the church at Colossae, he said, basically people were sizing up how religious they were or how spiritual they were by, by what they were eating, what they were not eating, what they were celebrating, what they were not celebrating. And that can be misleading too. Uh, he, he's saying basically... You are wrong when you judge a person's spirituality on the basis of external observation. What they eat, what they drink, what day they worship on, what style of worship they prefer. we got to be careful with that. Three common areas of conflict in, the first, century, in first century Christianity were diet, drink, and days. Now... Don't get into these disputable matters. Don't get hung up on these external things. Paul is basically saying that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We are not to judge based on the external things because only God sees the true heart. Next, another characteristic of wrong judgment. When one condemns before hearing all. In John chapter 7, Jesus says, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? 
Now, it is, only, it is not only wrong to condemn someone before hearing all the facts. Listen, in the context of what Paul was saying here, it's also wrong to judge even after hearing all the facts. Why? Because many times there's no way to get all the facts. What's going on in that person? What's really happening within them? Another characteristic of wrong judgment when one slanders another believer. In James chapter 4, here on the screen it says this, Brothers, of course there's the implication of those who are in Christ, do not slander one another, those who are part of the church there. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And, of course, the whole idea is slander. It means to ruin one's reputation. Whether I want to admit it or not, that softball player that played center field that, that could not hear, I made wrong judgments. And you know what I did? I, I went as far as not only making a wrong judgment in what I was seeing there. I, I even went as far as slander. I'm not proud of that. But I did that. And where did it all begin? It all began because I wasn't in the place to judge in the first place. And I didn't know all the facts. Last characteristic, last characteristic of wrong judgment when one takes the place of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes, and He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and will expose the motives of, man, of men's hearts. Paul says it's wrong when we question people's motives. Most of the time, we don't even know why we do what we do, much less why others do what they do. How many of you agree with that? Sometimes we don't know what we, why we do what we do. How is it we can judge someone else on what they do and why they do it? Next, we are not the legitimate judge. The legitimate judge is God. So here's the question. How... Will God judge? Look at Romans chapter 2. Look at verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. Now here's what you need to understand about that. God's justice is fair and does not favor one sinner over another. All are without excuse and in danger of judgment. Listen to this. The wealthy will not buy their way out of judgment. The beautiful will not charm their way out of judgment. The religious will not work their way out of judgment. All sinners will stand condemned unless they turn to the provision that was provided through Jesus Christ. It's going to happen that way. What will God judge? Look on your outline. First of all, conduct. Conduct. We see it in verses 6 through 10 here. Look at chapter 2. Who will render, who will render to each one according to his deeds? Now listen to what Romans 14, 12 says. Each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Each of us. Verse 7. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Here's what that literally means. Verse 7 means believers who have heavenly aspirations. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. It's unbelievers who have fleshly and worldly aspirations. Verse, 10, verse 9, tribulation and anguish on every soul of men who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, which is really the idea of the Gentile, everyone else. 
All. Basically, what he's trying to say here is all are without excuse, especially the Jew. Now, why would he say the Jew? Here's why. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, the Jewish people were God's people. They were the ones who, who were entrusted uh, with the law. They, they had all the information. If you wanted to know something about God in the Old Testament days and, and what it represents, guess what? You went to the Jew. They had the information. And he's basically saying they are without excuse. But not only are they without excuse, the Gentile is. Look at verse 10. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the message of hope that came first to the Jew. To the Jew. So here's the bottom line. Man's deeds will be judged and come up short. The rebels' wicked deeds or conduct will condemn them. The religious good deeds or conduct will condemn them because out of it pours forth uh, self-righteousness and pride. Basically, it's this. All are guilty and without excuse unless they come to God through the provision of Jesus. Next, what will God judge? He's going to judge their conscience. Conscience, it speaks of this in verse 12. For as many of his sin without law will also perish without law. As many as have sin in the law will be judged by the law. What he's basically saying, he's going back to chapter 1 and picking up a conversation he started over there. When it basically is that whole idea, all men are without excuse. If they don't have the gospel, they don't have the words of who God is, guess what? Creation reveals there's a God, there's a creator. Guess what else? There's something within them. It says in them. It speaks to their conscience. It tells them whether something's good or bad. It's all right there. And he's making this. Paul is making a distinction between the Jew who knew God's word and the Gentile who may not have known God's word. God will judge both, listen, with the understanding that some did not know his word. Again, building the argument that all are without excuse. Those who have been given much will be required and expected much. So what is he saying here? He's basically saying that our conscience can literally, our conscience, what's deep within us, what is in them, can even bring about the judgment that, we will, or that is out there, that is coming to pass. Romans chapter 2, look at verse 13. He goes a little further. Look what he says here. He says, for not, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law... These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. Now listen to this. It's that idea. The more a person hears God's truth, the more responsible he is to believe and obey it. The doers in verse 13 are those who have come to Christ on his terms because they are justified, meaning they have become acceptable to God. Verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bear witness and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or excusing them. Now, here's what you need to understand. A lot of people try to look at chapter 2, and here's what they're trying to say. Is this addressing those who have never heard the gospel before? Is it addressing how God's going to treat them in judgment? In, in, in a lot of ways, it does kind of shed light on that. But the reason this is here in chapter 2 is to show that everyone has a measure of guilt. Everyone has a measure of guilt. Now, is it, does it totally address what's going to happen to the unbeliever who has not heard the gospel message of Jesus, Jesus Christ? It is still incomplete in chapter 2. But there's one thing that I do know about God, and, and, and here it is. Number one, that God is just. 
And when we look at the fact that God's going to judge everyone, here's what we need to understand. Because God is just, no one will be able to stand before him and say, but God, you gave them this chance, you didn't give me. That's what that means. There won't be any of that. Basically, the picture of judgments that we see in Scripture, and there's two big pictures of that, no one is standing there pleading their case to say, but God, no one is doing that. And you know what that means? It means all who stand there will not only be accepting of God's judgment, they will see their guilt possibly for the first time. And there will be an understanding as to why that judgment is coming upon them. That's what you read. That's what you see. That's what these judgments imply in Scripture. So can we fully give an answer as how God's going to judge those who have never heard the word? We don't have all the information. We don't know. But one thing we do know, God is just. And number two, they won't be sitting there saying, but God. Because that's, that's not what we read when it comes to those conditions that we see in the judgments or in Scripture. Next, what will God judge? Character. He's going to judge character. Romans chapter 2, look at verse 16. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Paul's basically saying, this is my gospel. This is my good news. Luke had a gospel. John had a gospel. Matthew had a gospel. Mark had a gospel, which was really Peter's gospel. But you know something? Here's my gospel, and I'm presenting it to you. It's right here. Basically, verse 16. Listen to this. Reputation is what men think you are. Character is what you truly are. God knows every heart in this room, and one day every heart in this room, listen, will be judged right down to the secrets it holds. The only way out of this judgment that leads to condemnation is through Jesus Christ. The good news is that Paul is presenting this in this letter. He does, he's not going to end. Listen, if he would have just wrote chapters 1 and chapter 2 and ended it, he would not have been giving us the good news. He would have been totally missing what Jesus Christ came for. What he's trying to do in these two chapters is to say this. We are all guilty. The rebellious, you're guilty. The, re- the self-righteous, you're guilty. The religious, you're guilty. We're all guilty before God. So look at the application. Is God your judge or savior? Is he your judge or savior? And then here's the real question. What will be used to judge I want you to look here on the screen. In Revelation chapter 20, we come to what is called the final judgment. This is where unbelievers will be judged. And we know that. Believers will be judged at another judgment. The judgment we're about to read is just for unbelievers. So basically, it's not just a judgment. The charges are going to be basically read, and then their judgment will come after that. That's what we're getting ready to read. So look here on the screen. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. It means there was nothing that could stand before before this throne. I mean, that's how awesome it was. There was nothing that could stand there that could rightfully stand up against it. And it says this, And there was found no place for them who were there. Do you know what that literally means? They could not hide. They could not buy their way out of what was getting ready to happen. And I saw the dead, small and great. That means all were there. It wasn't just for the, a certain category of sinner. All were there standing before God. And the Bible says, and books were opened. Do you know what that literally means? It means the case that is against them is being presented. That's literally what that means. 
And so that's what you have here. And so, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, that's what this is, listen, are those who settled out of court. Did you know that when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I settled out of court for what my sin, the judgment of my sin? And I settled out of court with Jesus because I trusted Jesus. I turned my life over to him. I gave my life to him. And as a result, I settled out of court. I, I may be at this judgment, but I'm not going to be sentenced at this judgment because of that. Those who settle out of court, listen, according to this, their names are written in the book of life. But those whose names were not written in the book of life, that's who's standing there waiting on their condemnation. Okay, that's what this is saying. It goes further, and the dead were judged according to their works. Y'all, let me just say this. When you stand before a holy God, you never want your works to be your case. You never want it. Because the Bible says your works are filthy rags. Your works are useless. Your works are nothing. It doesn't measure up. And that's what he's saying. He said, it came there basically saying, I'm coming on my own record. I reject the record of Jesus Christ and what he did and what he was doing, the plea bargain. I'm rejecting that. I want to stand on my own record. That's not good. By the things which were written in the books. There it is. It's coming up short. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. There it is again. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The most gruesome scene ever is still to come. And that's the picture that we have there. And you know those who will be cast? Those who stood on their own record. Those who said, I'm not a sinner. Or it could be those who said, I'm the biggest of sinners. Bring it on. I've heard that language too. But let me tell you one language I have heard over and over again. I'm not that bad. Look at all those people out there. Look at what they're doing. And many of those people that are saying, I'm not that bad, are sitting right in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Deep down, here's what they're relying on. They're relying on the record to get them there. Your record, let me just tell you, based on Romans 1 and 2 all the way to the last part of Romans 3, your record is no good. Your record is no good. And Paul is making that case. Chapter 1, he's talking about the rebellious. Chapter 2, he's talking about the religious. And here's, what he, here's his conclusion. All have sinned, come short of glory. They all came up short. But look at verse 24 of chapter 3. But being justified. How many of you, how many of you like the whole idea of the concept of but in Scripture? Being justified freely by His grace, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a perpetuation. Jesus. God basically said, okay, Jesus, you're going to take on the wrath that I must pour out upon sin. Listen, if those who believe in you will believe in you, give their heart to you, come on our terms, be repentant, and do that, guess what? The wrath that I would, that I would pour out upon them, I'm going to pour out upon you, Jesus. And you know what another place in Scripture says? That Jesus was willing to do that. He was willing to do that. By his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. That is only for those. Listen. That is only for those who have trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. Not ours. Here's what we're admitting when we settle out court. Here's what we're basically saying. I don't want my record to be anywhere near this place. My works are filthy. 
I didn't measure up. I, my, listen, I, I am nothing without Jesus. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The justifier means this. Here's, here it is. Jesus taking the role of a justifier means this. Before I was not acceptable to God. Because I have a faith in Jesus, I turned my life over to him. I settled out of court. Now he justifies me. Here's what it literally means. He makes me acceptable before God. That's what he did. That's what it means. But listen, today, if you're sitting here today, you don't know him. You're not accepted by God. But if you know him, you settled out of court. Guess what? You are. Because of what Jesus did. Would you stand to your feet please? Father we just come to you right now. And we just thank you for your word. And Lord as we look at what Paul is saying here. and Lord I think we could look around this world. And say oh my goodness. Look at the sin that saturates this world. Look at the sin that saturates our country. Our city. And all the horrific things that are happening all around us. And we could point outside of these doors. And talk about that. But Lord help us to realize. That just as you see those things. You're seeing some of the same things in here Father. Those who, who refuse because of their pride and their arrogance and their self-righteousness. They refuse to admit that they're a sinner. They refuse to accept the terms of the plea bargain that Jesus paid it all. Father, I pray for those that may be here today that don't know you. They haven't settled out of court. That they'll settle today. Realizing for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, Father, is there someone here today that doesn't know you? I pray today will be the day they give their life to you. They accept the plea bargain. And now they can be justified. They can be acceptable before you. Father, I pray that will happen. Father, I pray for the Christian that may be here today. And maybe they've fallen to the same trap I've fallen to many times. It's just judging all the things that we think we're seeing. And making those judgments. And saying this and saying that. When we don't really have a clue. Father, help us to realize that our mission in this life is not to be judged. Our mission is to help those who deserve judgment to not face that judgment. And that's to lead people to Jesus. Lord, help us to get our hearts around that and our minds around that, that we'll be faithful to what you call us to. Thank you for what you're going to do in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.